This is section 79 of Mark Twain, A Biography. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, A Biography, Volume 1, Part 2, 1866 to 1875. Chapter 79, The Old Human Story. Jervis Langdon was never able to accept his son-in-law's invitation to the new home. His health began to fail that spring, and at the end of March, with his physician and Mrs. Langdon, he made a trip to the South. In a letter written at Richmond, he said, I have thrown off all care, and named a list of the four great interests in which he was involved. Under number five, he included everything, adding, So you see how good I am to follow the counsel of my children. He closed, Samuel, I love your wife, and she loves me. I think it is only fair that you should know it, but you need not flare up. I loved her before you did, and she loved me before she did you, and has not ceased since. I see no way but for you to make the most of it. He was already a very ill man, and this cheerful letter was among the last he ever wrote. He was absent six weeks, and seemed to improve, but suffered an attack early in May. In June his condition became critical. Clemens and his wife were summoned to Elmira, and joined in the nursing, day and night. Clemens surprised everyone by his ability as a nurse. His delicacy and thoughtfulness were unfailing. His original ways of doing things always amused and interested the patient. In later years Mark Twain once said, how much of the nursing did I do? My main watch was from midnight to four in the morning, nearly four hours. My other watch was a midday watch, and I think it was nearly three hours. The two sisters divided the remaining seventeen hours of the twenty-four hours between them and each of them tried generously and persistently to swindle the other out of a part of her watch. I went to bed early every night, and tried to get sleep enough by midnight to fit me for my work, but it was always a failure. I went on watch sleepy and remained miserable sleepy and wretched straight along through the four hours. I can still see myself sitting by that bed in the melancholy stillness of the sweltering night, mechanically waving a palm-leaf fan over the drawn white face of the patient. I can still recall my noddings, my fleeting unconsciousness, when the fan would come to a standstill in my hand, and I woke up with a start and a hideous shock. During all that dreary time I began to watch for the dawn long before it came. When the first faint gray showed through the window blinds, I felt as no doubt a castaway feels when the dim threads of the looked-for ship appear against the sky. I was 
well and strong, but I was a man afflicted with a man's infirmity, lack of endurance. He always dealt with himself in this unsparing way, but those who were about him then have left a different story. It was all without avail. Mr. Langdon rallied, and early in July there was hope for his recovery. He failed again, and on the afternoon of the 6th of August he died. To Mrs. Clemens, delicate and greatly worn with the anxiety and strain of watching, the blow was a crushing one. It was the beginning of a series of disasters which would mark the entire remaining period of their Buffalo residence. There had been a partial plan for spending the summer in England, and a more definite one for joining the Twitchells in the Adirondacks. Both of these projects were now abandoned. Mrs. Clemens concluded that she would be better at home than anywhere else, and invited an old school friend, a Miss Emma Nye, to visit her. But the shadow of death had not been lifted from the Clemens household. Miss Nye presently fell ill with typhoid fever. There followed another long period of anxiety and nursing, ending with the death of the visitor in the new home, September 29th. The young wife was now in very delicate health, genuinely ill, in fact. The happy home had become a place of sorrow, of troubled nights and days. Another friend came to cheer them, and on this friend's departure Mrs. Clemens drove to the railway station. It was a hurried trip over rough streets to catch the train. She was prostrated on her return, and a little later, November 7, 1870, her first child, Langdon, was prematurely born. A dangerous illness followed, and complete recovery was long delayed. But on the 12th the crisis seemed past, and the new father wrote a playful letter to the Twitchells as coming from the late arrival. Dear uncle and aunt, I came into the world on the 7th inst, and consequently am about five days old now. I have had wretched health ever since I made my appearance. I am not corpulent, nor am I robust in any way. At birth I only weighed four and one-half pounds with my clothes on, and the clothes were the chief feature of the weight, too, I am obliged to confess. But I am doing finely, all things considered. My little mother is very bright and cheery, and I guess she is pretty happy but I don't know what about. She laughs a great deal, notwithstanding she is sick abed. P.S. Father says I had better write, because you will be more interested in me just now than in the rest of the family. A week later Clemens, as himself, wrote, Livy is up, and the prince keeps her busy and anxious these latter days and nights. But I am a bachelor upstairs, and don't have to jump up and get the soothing syrup, though I would as soon do it as not, I assure you. Livy will be certain to read this letter. Tell Harmony that I do hold the baby and do it 
pretty handily, too, though with occasional apprehensions that his loose head will fall off. I don't have to quiet him. He hardly ever utters a cry. He is always thinking about something. He is a patient, good little baby. Further along he refers to one of his reforms. Smoke? I always smoke from three till five on Sunday afternoons, and in New York the other day I smoked a week, day and night. But when Livy is well, I smoke only those two hours on Sunday. I'm boss of the habit now, and shall never let it boss me any more. Originally I quit solely on Livy's account, not that I believed there was the faintest reason in the matter, but just as I would deprive myself of sugar in my coffee if she wished it, or quit wearing socks if she thought them immoral. And I stick to it, yet on Livy's account, and shall always continue to do so without a pang. But somehow it seems a pity that you quit, for Mrs. T. didn't mind it, if I remember rightly. Ah, it is turning one's back upon a kindly providence to spurn away from us the good creature he sent to make the breath of life a luxury as well as a necessity, enjoyable as well as useful. To go quit smoking when there ain't any sufficient excuse for it, why, my old boy, when they used to tell me I would shorten my life ten years by smoking, they little knew the devotee they were wasting their puerile words upon. They little knew how trivial and valueless I would regard a decade that had no smoking in it. But I won't persuade you, Twitchell. I won't until I see you again. But then we'll smoke for a week together, and then shut off again. End of chapter 79. The Old Human Story. Read by John Greenman.